Not sure if the path of your parents is the path for you? What questions do you begin with? What does self-discovery feel like? My journey of self-discovery has been both my privilege and my tribulation. I have lived life differently than most. I offer educational sessions on how to pursue your path. Links and contacts are in the bios. Welcome to the Sex and Humans podcast, season two, episode 10, The Next Step with Kasha. Kasha is a coach that specializes in executive breakthroughs, trained by Tony Robbins and others. Kasha, a global citizen, has a unique perspective that has lived in multiple countries, having studied at Stanford and Harvard with over 15 years of working for some of the biggest corporate brands to working for Google for over seven years, exiting Google, and following her ikigai into the world of coaching others on the process of the breakthrough. At different times in our lives, we greatly benefit from having guides or mentors in our life, those that have walked the path before us and can advise on the consequences of the choices in front of us. It is only us in the end that can decide what is best for ourselves, but the adventure of navigating the world outside of culture is beginning to take shape globally. Coaches or guides are the new cultural ancestors, regardless of age, that have walked the walk we want to emulate. Kasha, thank you so much for being on here. Uh, I truly appreciate your time, and I am looking forward to this conversation. So you had this whole corporate experience, you coordinated your life and did all the right things. You got an undergrad degree, then you got more certificates and more training and more education, and then eventually went into the world of branding and advertising, which a lot of very smart people do because it's creative, but it's also lucrative and it's not, you know, it's not finance to one of the ultimate experiences working for Google, the, 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 one of the biggest companies, if not sometimes the biggest company in the world uh, for seven years. And now you've decided to be a coach. So what was that first experience or that first intuition that you had where you're working for Google, things are ostensibly great, and you're like, this is not for me. What did that feel like? Yeah, thank you so much, John David, for having me here. It's great to be here. And what a great question. And actually, I had that experience twice. Once, um, about 10 years ago now, when I was living in Chicago, working for a marketing agency for some of the world's biggest brands like Jack Daniels, Campbell's, Kawasaki. Um, and I had an amazing life, you know, living downtown Chicago, having, you know, a great social life and really living the dream. Now, the challenge was that in the U.S., we only got two weeks of vacation. So the first yeah. challenge that kind of came up was, first of all, the first signal of me knowing that it's time for change is I felt that there was more for me. There was more available. There was more to experience. And that did not necessarily include all of that being focused on my career. So I got to the point where I felt like I wasn't growing anymore within the company there wasn't many more growth opportunities within the organization. Um, and I also felt like I was working my life away. So I made a plan. I gave myself three months 
and I, I left, I resigned and it was an amazing company. I'm so grateful for all the opportunities and I left on my terms. So what that looked like is kind of starting to wake up. The kind of inkling is like, Ugh, I got to go to work again. It's like, what is that? I love my job. This is amazing. I have my dream job working, you know, in the Sears tower on the 45th floor. What is this? What's wrong with me? It kind of starts showing up like this, like a little bit of a whisper. And it's like, I got to go to work again. It's like, oh no, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> and it, you know, it's a bit of a journey because you start feeling guilty. You're like, what is this? You know, so many people would love to be in my shoes, but you got to trust that. So that happened the first time. And I gave myself three months, made a plan, packed up a suitcase and um, literally took my bucket list because I felt like I was working my life away, seeing all my friends, many of them in Europe because I've lived in multiple countries. Um, I've always seen them like traveling. And in the US, travel was like something you go and do on your honeymoon. Like you go to Paris on your honeymoon, you go to Bali, like you know, after you finish college, you can't just get up and go because it's so expensive and you don't have the time. I mean, 10 working days, two weeks a year. For hmm. many, it's just like a Miami and a Vegas, you know, and for me, I just wanted more. I wanted to travel. I, I've always been very passionate about it. And that's what I did. I took my bucket list and I love salsa dancing. So I went to Cuba. I went to Mexico. I was training capoeira at the time. So I went to Brazil to train. And then I was going to move to London because that was the smart, uh, you know, adult responsible thing to do. Go to London if I'm going to move to to Europe, you know, a, a country where I speak the language, where I kind of know some people, but that's not how I do life. So, you yeah. know, when you're young, you can kind of make these crazy decisions. Uh, you can actually make them at any stage of your life. But I'm like, you know what? I really want to learn French. I'm going to move to Paris. So I rerouted my stuff to Paris, went to Paris, the best, worst decision ever. And there <laughs> is where my journey began. <laughs> right, so how old are you at this point? I was if 30. If I can ask. Okay. Yeah, I was 30. Yeah. So at the age of, I was 29 when I left the US. So I celebrated my 30th in Montmartre um, in Paris. Okay. So right out of college, you pretty much hit the ground running and you just... <laughs> Yeah. You just yeah, I mean, did the ladder and yeah, crushed the I mean, ladder, honestly. You got there and you're like, well, now now what? Right? I, I love that question. I think it all begins there. Now what? Yeah. Because so, in the US, you start working so early. Like I started working when I was, I think, 16 years old as a lifeguard earning $6 an hour. So you're working, working, working. And having worked my way through high school and college, it was just work, 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 which is great because it gives you a lot of freedoms and you're able to have your own income. And, you know, that gives you more autonomy. But at the same time, you're trading your time for money. And at some point that just wasn't aligned for me. So yeah. I knew there was more. <laughs> Trading your time for money. I think that's that's maybe the 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 catch of the United States, right? It's yeah. ironically as well, not really the American dream. It's it's the like I said, it's the catch. It's if you're willing to realize that trading your time for money and finding a way to support yourself not doing that that's i think you know the real you know the american fantasy if, if you will right it's it's that that experience that says 
you can both eat, which is super nice, and not necessarily sleep outside unless you want to and are camping, but also have the time to do the things that are interesting to you, to launch this business, to launch this hobby, and to not have to monetize everything and capitalize on every aspect of your creative culture or your creative endeavor. I mean, you can just do things because they're fun or they're interesting to you. So you're in Paris. What did you learn from the French? <laughs> what I learned from the French, you know, and I think that's what makes me a world citizen because I've lived in numerous countries. I was originally born in Poland. So mm -hmm. from the Poles, I take like the work ethic, um, you know, from the French, I really like the finer things in life and the intellect. They're very smart. They're a very smart culture. They're very, you know, they're bookwormy, as I can say. And um, it's just a different culture than, you know, to the U.S. than to, you know, Poland. So having lived in the U.S. from there, like Americans are very, you know, positive and, you know, very, very happy most of the time. Right. Versus like, you know, the French or the Poles are the opposite. The French are known for being grumpy. I'm like, why are you talking to me? Right. So for me, having lived in different countries, you know, even Spain, for example, what I love from that culture is how happy people are with what is. It's like, oh, I have a meal. I'm so grateful and happy for that. They don't worry about the future. So what I like is taking different things from different cultures that I live or where I travel. And from the French, it was really the intellect. And funny enough, it was a, a book that changed my life while being in Paris. I, well, I needed a break from French. You know, it, I, I speak French with an American accent. It was, <laughs> it was quite a journey. You know, I, I didn't speak a word of French when I got there and became fluent within less than a year. So that was very work intensive. And I respect a lot the French for, for that language. It's such a beautiful way of, of speaking and articulating yourself. Um, and what happened was I was in Paris and I needed a break from, from French. I mean, it's just, it's tricky. It's, it's a really tricky language. And then all of a sudden you can kind of start to understand, kind of speak it, but it takes a long time. It's not like Spanish or English, which I find to be a lot easier. Um, and I went into the secondhand bookshop next to Notre Dame, and there was only one book available in English. It was a secondhand book, and I, I remember it like today. Only one book for five euros, and it was with this guy with big teeth who I had no idea who he was. I didn't know a single thing about personal development. I thought it was for people that can't like deal with life, um, you know, how to organize or how to cook. It's like that's what I thought personal development was because I didn't know any better. And the book was Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. And I had a long commute in and out of Paris and um, I started reading it and it started to change my life. And it, all of a sudden it, it talked about the six human needs and I'm like, oh my gosh, no wonder I have this conflict within me where my biggest need is security and certainty. But at the same time, I love the adventure, but these two next to each other, they don't function very well. They can't integrate into one another because, you know, I want my top value is security and certainty, but at the same time, I want this adventure and I want this uncertainty. And those two next to each other just cause this internal conflict. And that was one of the very first steps that I started to um, understand how I work and how humans work and how we have these six human needs. And um, the next thing I know, I was recruited by Google because I never applied. I thought I wasn't smart enough because I didn't go to the Stanfords. I did not have the 4.0 GPA. I did not have all these things, which were 
now that I see them limiting beliefs of what I thought I needed to be and what I needed to have to be able to even apply. And all of a sudden, you know, they're calling me and recruiting me. And I'm just like, is this a scam? Like me, me, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> and, you know, a month later I'm over in Dublin, uh, you know, in their corporate headquarters. So yeah, it's been quite a journey and funny enough, my first, um, money from Google, cause I saved like $20,000 for my worldwide tour. And I thought it was so much money, which it is. But when you're traveling and not having any income because you are used to working for your money by trading your time for your money, by having a job or some kind of, you know, an activity, right. For that money. Uh, I didn't know any better then. So I was just depleting the money every time I would travel, you know, every hotel, every meal, and especially in Paris, you know, Paris is kind of expensive because it's, you want to see, you want to explore everything. And, um, I was running out of money and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need a job. And all of a sudden, like I find this book, I get recruited and I literally moved to Dublin with like, I think it was like $300 left in my bank account. So it's like, you know, when we commit to something, when we make a decision, the universe creates all these amazing opportunities. So with the first money that I had from Google, the first thing I did was go to a Tony Robbins event, which I thought was so expensive. Like it was so much money, but that journey changed my life. And that was just one of the many seminars I continued going to using literally after the first year, that the next yeah six years, literally every weekend, practically every weekend, I would either go to a personal development seminar over in London or in Dublin or anything I can get my hands on online, um, using my vacation time to travel around the world and follow Tony Robbins. And then from there on found different mentors. So it's just something that became a passion of mine. And after some time, when you surround yourself with people that do not have the typical employee mindset, but that are uh, living life on their terms, you know, they have their own businesses. They're not necessarily working in their business, but on their business, you're like, hold on a second. Why can't I create that for myself? And then the journey began and continued. <laughs> I think what you described is a, a really good articulation of the difference between like rich and wealthy. And I think that oftentimes, at least in, in English, you know, we, we associate the two as almost synonyms, and, and, but they're, they're really quite different if you allow it. You know, it's interesting that you're like, hey, I was working for here and you trade your time for money, which is defined in America as a W-2, right? A tax form. And right. I kind of see it as no matter how much money you're making, whatever that number is, it, it be, often becomes irrelevant to a certain extent. If you're making it on a W-2, you, you haven't, you, you are not wealthy definitively. You might be rich, but you are not wealthy if you're making money only on a W-2 because that W-2 is a, is a requirement for time. It's really what it is. And it's saying like, hey, you've given us X amount of time. You're very smart. And the things that you do earn us three times what we're about to pay you. So thanks. Uh, so here you go. Here's you made us a million dollars. Here's a $300,000 salary. Thank you so much. And uh, I think a lot of people don't don't recognize that. And I think some people are very comfortable with that. And that is honestly okay. It's okay. 
But if they're listening or they've had these moments in their lives where they argue for more or they feel like this is not satisfactory to them, they aren't content, there's this whole new world. And both you and I are both part of it in this global culture. And this ex this exists outside of, you know, going to college and getting a degree and getting a job, getting married, have kids, raise kids, don't get divorced, suffer, push yourself through it. At the end, it's going to be worth it. Your kids are going to grow up and repeat this process and in return validate that you did it correctly. And that's a perfectly legitimate existence. But for a lot of people today, it's not what they want. And, and if you can figure that out before you put new people like children into the world that now have needs, wants, and desires that I would argue should exceed your own, you, you can really take some steps into figuring out who you are. But I don't know about you, but for me, when I started to break into this, the global culture world, and for me, it was probably around 2005. Like there are no guides, there are no teachers, right? Like coaching wasn't a thing back then, really. Um, I guess unless you were Tony Robbins, but you know, it was a it was an experience for me that felt very like very lost. But I knew I wanted to go forward. Um. So when you decided to move through, you found Tony Robbins to help kind of guide you through that process and to teach you that global culture. What do you think is one of the most critical elements that differentiates living within, you know, either a nationalistic or religious culture, or even just a local community that has its own sets of rules and unspoken guidelines for how to determine if someone's a good person or if someone's somebody that you want to interact with to the global element? What do you think is the biggest difference? The biggest lesson that you first had to learn that was like, oh, what I knew is no longer going to apply to where I want to go. Yeah, what a great question. I would say the number one element is identity. Hmm. Because our identity is given to us in a lot of ways. Um, you know, some argue that when we're born, we're born with an energetic blueprint. If you think about it, you know, we were inside of our mother, the mother was inside our grandma. There's a lot of linear heritage there and a lot of uh, programming because we're humans. There is some programming element to it that is within our DNA, whether it's, oh, you're going to be a boy, you're going to be a girl. But that goes much, so much deeper than that. Now, when we're little, we're like little sponges. And until the age of seven, we don't have this critical faculty in our brain that questions the world. Like we question like, why is this round? Why is this red? But we don't question, okay, Santa, how can this man travel the world <laughs> all in one night? Because we don't question it. We, you know, we have these authorities in our lives, whether it's our parents or caregivers, and we just believe what they say. We believe the cartoons. We believe what it is that we're reading or being read to. The environment shapes us in huge ways. So does religion. So being born in Poland, not, you know, that I think religion is good or bad, but I see how it shapes the culture and how it continues to shape you as a grown up. Because Poles, for 
perhaps it's religion. And I guess an argument could be made for that. You know, they just think that they're guilty. And then when you feel guilty, it's really hard to go after the things that you want because the religion says, oh, it's my fault. It's my fault. I did something wrong, even though you did nothing. It's something that you're inducted into going to church and saying these prayers that you're taught. You don't question them. But that is really programming you as a little child, and it has a big impact on you as an adult. So I'm not saying religion is good or bad. It's just something I observe for people that yeah. you know are religious and seeing them how they are now as adults. There's a lot of guilt being carried. And when you carry guilt, it's really hard to be successful because you feel you're undeserving and you feel like you're not worth it. So that's an observation. Mm -hmm. Now, to continue to answer your question, I think that the culture, the religion, the patterns of the family, especially around money. You know, I, I was raised and born in communistic Poland. There was a lack and I can see the lack mentality around me, but I believe in abundance. So awareness is the first kind of way to realize that your identity is the biggest factor that determines whether you're rich or wealthy, happy or sad, guilty or not guilty, right? So it's your identity because what you learn, you can unlearn. And I think unlearning is a lot more powerful than actually learning things because being programmed, there's so much programming in us and having, you know, what I study is, is what I study. And it's literally our brains are programmed. Our brains are programmed for how we carry ourselves, how we present ourselves, how we see ourselves and our identity. You know, as Tony Robbins said, we're not going to be more successful than how we see ourselves. So if you see yourself as capable, if you see yourself as powerful, if you see yourself as smart and able, then you're going to be able to do great things. But because of the programming, we need to undo a lot of that for that to become available to you. And that is the work I've been doing. And it's the unbecoming. And it's all about identity. And I could talk about this for hours, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's ultimately the answer to your question. And it's it's complicated and each of us have, have had our own journey. And, you know, I think the biggest change, the, the biggest awakening opportunity for me to create the change is really getting myself in proximity with people who have different, who are different, who are being different. And with taking a look at your identity, who you are and who you are not, you can then start to tweak. It's like, well, I like this about myself and I'd like to change this about myself. And from that, you can really start to create the life that you want, the life on your terms, whether it's staying in corporate and getting a promotion, whether it's changing jobs, moving countries, everyone has their own definition of success. And I don't think working for corporate is bad. It's just that at some point I outgrew it. I just wasn't content and fulfilled anymore working on these amazing, amazing projects with amazing people. It just wasn't hitting that spot anymore. And I wanted more and I wanted to live where I wanted to live. And I wanted to go into this full time studying this and really embodying it and creating my methods. You know, my company is called Breakthrough Methods. And something that I find in the personal development industry is that, you know, you go to these workshops and I've been to plenty of them. And it's like, okay, here's where you are. Here's what you, where you, where you want to be. Right. So it's like, okay, I don't have a lot of savings. I want to be a millionaire. That's a big leap. But it's about looking at the next level. Like, what is the next level and how do you get there? That's what I'm interested in. And I find that a lot of mentors out there and coaches, they set such a big vision, which is important to have, but there's no strategy to get there. 
And I think identity is the number one factor in moving that needle. Because when you are different, you're going to start doing different. And you're going to start thinking different. You're going to start feeling different. And as a result, you're going to have different. I agree. I think there's there's an failure in, in, in some of the way that we, in my opinion, describe these experiences um, because they're, they're, they have inherent um, subjectivity to them and that the word growth has a, if, you know, a subjective positive experience, right? Or I wanted more has a subjective, like I wanted a, a better life. And, you know, I, I've been playing with, you know, how, how am I supposed to describe these things that don't imply that if you're not doing them, you are less than. Because I, I do think that there are those that really fit in well in this, this growth culture, this global culture that's starting to form is really a place for probably the minority of human beings that are interested in escaping culture because it doesn't, it doesn't serve them, but you know, then there becomes this, this conflict or contrast between how one person wants to live their life in culture. And they're like, Hey, I like my religion. Hey, I like this kind of relationship dynamic with a partner and I want to have this experience. And, you know, and it, it, you can boil it all the way down to the first experiences of people that wanted to live or didn't fit in right into traditional culture for whatever reason whether that be from sexuality to gender identity a hundred years ago to any kind of human being that this culture was like you don't really have a place so we want to show you how to fit into our world and for the first time, I think, in history, you know, either financially created the experience or social media assisted with this, despite the fact that I really, really kind of negative on social media as its overall impact, but a positive impact would be it's allowed us to connect so easily to other cultures and to other experiences to see how other people are doing things. And that exposure, when you can isolate it out and you think about in 1970, when you left your house, that was it. You were gone. You were in the wind, so as they would say. And anybody that knew you very, very well had no idea where you were. They had no contact with you, no touch for you. And until you walked back through the door, and were in their presence, you really didn't have, you're like, where's your husband? I have no idea. Honestly, I think he's at work. That is what the culture tells us he's going, but he could do whatever he wanted. You know, and there was a lot of people that had different relationships, different experiences, and they were setting all these things up. And now all that's in the, in the, the public eye that's exposed now because you can't do that, right? Someone leaves, it's like, where are you? You're on text. You're you're tethered. We are tethered to human beings, thousands of them constantly, especially if you're on social media. And that's changed the way we've interacted as as a thing. And I think that in part contributed to the 
this global culture that is starting to form. And we're trying to figure out how to get from, to your point, corporate world. This is what I want to do. This is what I was told to do. You know, when I was growing up, I was told, you know, what do you want to do for a living? And the only good answers were answers that had high income, right? If I would have said, I want to be a plumber because I'm fascinated with the way water moves and fluid dynamics, they'd be like, no, 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 you don't want to be a plumber. You want to be a physicist, you know, you, or you, want to, you don't want to do that. You want to be a scientist working for this big company with rockets, right? And it's like, oh, oh, oh okay. Um, but maybe I just wanted to be a plumber. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that experience. It just changes the way that we're, we're motivated. And for some of us, we're motivated by something very different. And that is, I hesitate to say more because of this, but I, I, I lean more towards just different, right? We want a different kind of life. Some people don't want to travel. Most Americans don't have a passport. And that's an active choice that they make because they do not value it. I've had a passport since I was like 13 or something, you know, and I've gone through three of them. <laughs> I'm sure you can relate, you know, where it's just like stamp after stamp. And that's the experience that I wanted. But I've had to give up certain things. Like, I'm really not friends with anybody that I grew up with, with, you know, very few exceptions. Um, and even there, they're, not close where some people would really really value their fact that like hey this is my friend bob i've known bob since the third grade and they wouldn't know how to survive without that and they, they would feel if they lost that it would be at a great disadvantage to them so there's like there's there's good and bad it's just it's it's i think it's important that you said to understand what we value right so where would you argue your values are that pushed you towards where you are and who you are becoming, who you became and who you want to be and everything in between? You know, what do you value? That's such a great question. And before I answer, I just want to um, kind of echo what you said. So what I do is I work with a framework, which is do, be, and have. So here's mm -hmm. what I've discovered because I work with professionals, mid-career professionals. Many of them are very successful, but sometimes, you know, we do the things that we think is success and we get there and it's like, hold on, this isn't it, right? Because of the way that we've been brought up, because of the things we thought we're supposed to do, being a good girl, a good, good boy, right? So I find that a lot of people have, they have the job, they have the significance, they have the house, the car, you know, two and a half kids and a picket white mm -hmm. fence and a dog, right? They have what they think they're supposed to have and they have it. And, you know, some things are more fulfilling than others because we value different things. You know, each of us is unique. We're all different. Yeah. And I'm not one to say that's good or bad. You know, each of us gets to make that decision. But here's what I found. So we have this amazing job. We have the money. We have the house. We have the money to travel. Right. But maybe not the time. But here's what I'm getting at. To have these things, we then do things that we don't necessarily love. That stressful job, you know, waking up at 5 a.m., commuting for three hours and sitting in front of your lap for, laptop for 12. If people love that, great, you know, but a lot of them don't, but they want to have the stuff. 
So a lot of people, they have, they, they have the things, they do the things they don't want to do most of the time to have the stuff that they kind of mostly enjoy like on a good day or when, you know, they have some gratitude for it, which often we take for granted all this amazing things. And then from this doing, then there's the being, we're being stressed, we're being miserable, we're being angry, we're being like, you know, not our true selves. So for me, that's why identity is so important because I work from the inside out. It's like, who do you want to be? What are your values? Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, my values are curiosity. My values are freedom. My values are congruency. My values are living in alignment. And from that, I do things that support my being. So I don't do things that I don't want to do. And the things that I need to do that I don't want to do, like, you know, taxes, I outsource right? Because I want to be happy. I want to be free. <laughs> so it's about knowing who you are. Again, that identity piece, then doing things that support my identity. And then the having the travel, the living in Lisbon, the financial freedom, that's a result of my being, but which supports my doing. And then I have, does that make sense? Well, a lot of people work inversely. And we're not taught this stuff in school. And this is what I do. I teach a lot of the things that they don't teach in school. You know, my master's degree was personal development. I've spent more on, invested more, spent is the wrong word, invested more in myself than an MBA, which I was looking to have, because this is the things that changed my life, this information. And what I do is I learn from different modalities, different mentors, different schools of thought, and I create these different programs and workshops that really change the way we think, change can change who we are. And sometimes it's a small little distinction, which makes, you know, such a difference because, you know, it's like you're driving a car and you steer just one millimeter off and, you know, 10,000 miles from now, you're in a completely different direction on the other right. side of the planet, right? So it's the little changes that really add up. And I find in the personal development world, a lot of people don't succeed because, you know, they try to make these big, big leaps, but they don't have the identity to support it. And that's why so many of us, we fail at New Year's resolutions because it's like, I'm going to be healthy. It's like, no, you're not healthy at your core. It's not who you're being. It's not a value within you yet. It's something you want to do because you want to have the sexy body. So you do things that make you miserable, really sore, not eating or eating the things you're supposed to have, but inside it's not who you are. But if you work with the identity piece, and your value becomes health because health, I believe, is the biggest freedom that we all have that we take for granted until it's gone. Then you do things that support you, you being healthy. And then you have the sexy body, the vitality, the energy, what it is, whatever it is, is the result of the being, doing and having. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, it does. So, make sense. Yeah. I, so I, I it, it reminds me of um, it reminds me of. Uh, a saying, you know, I was talking to somebody and they said, super love the movie Back to the Future. It was, she was actually on this, on the show a couple of episodes ago. She's a huge fan. And it's, it's fascinating to me how people can watch these time travel shows or films. And there's always, always an emphasis put on the smallest little change in time. If you go back, you know, it can have this, this massive, effect on the future so you go back and you you know you save the, the puppy from getting run over and you know the world ends in five years but the lesson that we seem to miss in our actual life that doesn't include time travel 
are the little things that we can change today and have massive impact later. We, we already accept that as truth when we watch science fiction films and they travel back in time. But very few people I've met integrate that into their life. Well, if I just change this one thing today, in five years, I'll be a super different person. And I think what's missed is a lot of those things, as you said, are predictable, right? If you do figure out who you are, which I would agree is how you define identity, right? Uh, figuring out who you are, what you want is the next step. And from there is your life in alignment with both who you are, which is informed what you want and now are the things you're doing going to get you there right um a friend of mine i was talking to and she said she was in a a, a container and she was chatting with the, the the person who was leading the container and they were talking about relationships and at some point some of the people that were in the relationship or looking for a relationship were asked to describe what it felt like and they said things like a good relationship feels like you know safe and warm like sitting by a fire and reading a book in a rocking chair and you're like well that sounds like you should get a dog because a dog delivers all of those things like you're not you're not describing an actual relationship with another human being that is also going to want things right you're you're describing a, a really simple feeling which is absolutely achievable so if that's true you know you should buy a place with a fireplace and get a puppy and then happiness is forever you don't need another person but that's generally people haven't focused really and figured out what they actually want so it's interesting how you you describe those things and say you know that's that's how you work and yet you're correct most people don't work that way and i think that's where the lack of culture is important because culture tells us what we want and what we're supposed to do and they give us financial and or at least dopamine rewards right hey i've celebrated my 25th wedding anniversary but we sleep in different bedrooms we never communicate we don't talk very much and we've just made it to this point so thank you very much i want the credit for enduring this process. And there is value to that at some point. And there's value to others that might really see that as positive. But I think for you and I, and for the majority of people that are finding that they aren't satisfied by the culture, the longevity, ironically, the time, right? Invest in a relationship should not be the most definitive mark of success. Yes. And if I can jump in here. Yeah, please. Feeling, feeling. So two things here for me, success is a feeling because I find that a lot of these people who are by definition successful, you know, they have the money, they have the beautiful wife, the handsome husband, you know, they have the job, they have whatever, you know, it is that they have. What matters is how you feel because you can have all that. But if you're stressed out, if you're miserable, if you've maybe done some things that are questionable, you don't feel good about yourself. What kind of an experience of life is that? 
Yeah. So for me, success is a feeling because if I wake up every morning and I'm happy and I feel free and I feel light because I clean myself internally in terms of these feelings of shame, of guilt, because we all do things that, you know, we're not perfect. We're humans. But it's about doing that internal work of cleaning it up, just like, like you clean your house. You need to clean yourself up internally so that you can clean that slate and then from there build and continue to move. So my experience with working with a lot of successful professionals is doing that work has such a big change because then you see, you change how you see yourself. You get the learning, you start to understand why you did that. And that all ties back to these six human needs that we've you know talked about mm-hmm. initially because and those do come from Tony Robbins. He was my original mentor. And um, you understand how you fill those in a functional way and in a dysfunctional way. Because also with successful professionals, for example, I find that if you don't get fulfillment from your relationship, you don't get fulfillment from your job, you'll get it from other places like food. So we still have these mm-hmm. fundamental needs, except one is functional and one is dysfunctional. And sometimes we don't know that we're doing these things because we're not aware. It's just something that we do because we don't question it. So I think a lot of people do the things they do because we were never taught differently. Again, these are things that were never taught in school. This is emotional intelligence. This is really understanding who you are, who you are not, and how to lead yourself. And if you do something that, you know, wasn't aligned with your values, just taking a look at it, you know, why did I do that? But not from a place of judgment, but okay, here are my six human needs. Here are my values. You know, what happened there? right? And learning from that, getting that lesson and, you know, wiping that slate clean because we spend so much time beating ourselves up so much time. And for me, success is a feeling because so many people, you know, to me, what matters is not what it looks like, but what it is. Because even Mm -hmm. like in, in Lisbon, I see, you know, these mothers and kids going to the beach and the mother takes pictures of their kid for the social media But then it's like, okay, let's go home. And it's like, the kid is crying. It's like, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It matters what it is versus being, you know, on that beach with that child, allowing them to play, allowing them to get dirty and messy, and then maybe taking a picture for yourself to commemorate that memory versus trying to do something that's very perfect. You are in your life, the less you're trying to fulfill the needs and the desires and expectations of other people, but focus on who you are and living in that place of alignment, like you mentioned, of being who you are, doing what supports your being. And as a a result, having, that's a whole different experience of life because so many people perform, so many, and I've been there too. And then really step-by-step, step-by-step, working on yourself, really getting clear on who you are, who you are not, learning from everything, because we often forget that we learn from contrast as well. Well, that didn't feel really good. Well, what didn't feel good about that situation? It's like, oh, I crossed my boundary. I violated my value. I went against myself. I didn't tell the truth. And we have that feeling. Our energy, our feelings don't lie. And really bringing awareness to that and leading ourselves from a place that you're experiencing yourself as just this really powerful being because we are. And when you step into your power, then the circumstances slowly start to fall away because you realize how you can create your life. And some things take longer. You know, I just did my success workshop that you were at, you were at, and we forget that some things that we start this year will not manifest until 2025, but we dismiss it. We, we forget. It's like, you know, going to the gym, 
It's like, okay, last year I wanted to lose 10 pounds, but I lost only eight. Instead of celebrating that we lost eight pounds and have only two more to go, we beat mm -hmm. ourselves up because we didn't do it by December 31st. So it's like, come here comes January 1st. Do you want to start with the 10 pounds again? Or do you want to continue with the additional two, you know, and maybe some more? So it's just really changing how you experience yourself, how you think about things, how you experience your everyday life. Simple things. Yeah. So where do you think is the first sign of discontentment? So if I'm, if I'm wondering to myself, who am I? And do mm -hmm. I belong in this culture that I was raised in? Or do I belong somewhere else? Do I want to invent my own? Or maybe I just need to find a new container culture that someone's already made. It already exists, but I need to go over there. I think that's where people start to, to look at their identity, their relationship dynamics, their styles. And maybe that's correct, but what, what's the first indicator that, what does it feel like, do you think? <laughs> Such a great question. You know what? I believe our triggers and the things that upset us, and for a lack of a better term, piss us off, are the way. Yeah, the I mean, that, that's been said before. Yeah, like anger is the, it yeah. is a sign that, you know, something is incorrect in your life. And the way we respond to anger is really what is going to dictate how our life is led. And oftentimes we respond immaturely as human beings and lash out. And we just try and project and externalize our feeling onto someone else blaming them for the way we feel. But if we can internalize that a little bit and say like, okay, so I'm irritated. How do I want to respond that I can control to reduce my irritation? I think uh, the expression of anger will change dramatically in as a global culture in the way that we interact, right? If I were to really, really anger you, the new way of dealing with that may not be you coming at me and telling me how pissed off you are and verbalizing this internal feeling of angst. You just might express to me why you've, why my behavior has made you feel a certain way we can have a conversation about that and I can either give a shit or not about the way I made you feel. And then you can in turn decide whether or not you want to continue to be around somebody that if my choice is not to care, that doesn't really care that they inspire this feeling in you and we move on. But that didn't always used to be an option, right? We, we lived really as small containers of family, right? And we had to deal with them and you know, someone might not care, might not. And sometimes that was often the definition of family. I can do whatever I want to you. I can make you feel whatever. I can call you whatever. And you have to be loyal to me. We are blood. And we're really the first group of people, the generation, whatever you want to call it, that I think in mass don't have to do that. Right? We, we are not obligated to 
prioritize quote unquote family over our own well-being. I, I don't know if that I don't know if that that's true for even one generation above. You know, they 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 often ran into that problem. They had to value family over themselves because you couldn't survive on your own. Whereas you and I can, we, we, we have that luxury. So I'm kind of curious. So from here, once you understand who you are, where and when should the advent of a coach be beneficial in your opinion for you, for like yourself? Yeah. So with that, I think, um, I first want to distinguish the difference between therapy and coaching yeah. because a lot of people, um, and we don't know, right. We just don't know. I didn't know until I started to take a look at it. So I think that there's nothing wrong with therapy and I don't think coaching is the only solution. I have clients that do both therapy and coaching. The way I look at it, it's therapy is for example, like when you have family challenges, right? Like they're expecting something out of you and you don't know how to deal with it. That is what therapy is great for, right? Now I look at coaching as something like where dreams are made of. So for example, the way that therapy would tackle that is, you know, talking about it. And again, nothing wrong with therapy, but I find that when we talk about something, it doesn't necessarily heal it and it doesn't necessarily solve the challenge. So again, therapy is amazing. I think everyone should have a therapist. But sometimes it's not the only or the best solution. And everyone is different, right? There's different methods. There's different modalities. So um, when it comes to coaching, it's really taking a look at, for example, okay, here's the family I was raised in. Here are the values. But looking at what upsets me, for example, the way someone speaks to me, the way that they cross my boundaries. You know, in school, they don't teach us emotional intelligence. They don't teach us how to hold onto our emotions, how to hold the sadness, how to hold the anger. We can't hold that energy within us. So then we either numb it through shopping, Netflix, alcohol, whatever, right? Or we explode at other people. And oftentimes it is our family members or some poor stranger or Uber driver that is on the receiving end of it because Customer you know service. we can't yell at our boss. We can't yell at our employees. That's not acceptable. But coming home with all that like poop, you know, and going all out on our, you know, partner or parent or child or some stranger, at, you know, that just happens to cross paths with you because they take too long to bag their groceries or <laughs> whatever happened, right? We just like ah, unleash. And it's about learning to hold that. And again, that's a skill set that I have learned through this personal development journey. So to answer your question, when it comes to coaching, it's really taking a look at, you know, who you are and what does that mean? Who you are, meaning what do you value? Where do you want to go? How are you going to get there? And what are the invisible blocks that get in the way? And the invisible blocks often stem from the family circle because of the programming that is within us of what we believe, what we don't believe, what we think is good, what we think is bad. You know, I work a lot with the money mindset. It's a relationship. And a lot of us don't have a relationship with money. We think, you know, money is something that we have to sacrifice for, something that we have to work really hard for. And then we have to use it to pay bills and pay groceries and like pay the damn rent. Like that's a really bad relationship with money. And then we wonder why we don't have more of it because we're not, there's no relationship. It's like this 
disconnect, you know, and some of us have that with nutrition too. You know, it's not just that, mm -hmm. but once I rework my relationship with money, money comes to me always, always. So every time I pay for the groceries, it's like, wow, I'm so grateful to my past self who earned this or to a client that helped support this, you know, so that I can have a healthy meal. Every time I pay, you know, my rent or, you know, I pay for, uh, you know, a ring light. It's like, I'm so happy that I can buy this. I'm so happy. Like I have the money. I don't have to worry about it. You know, I don't have to check if I have enough money on the card. Like, I'm so grateful. How amazing is this that I can buy myself a ring light? And I just get so grateful and excited. And I find that the more I connect to the money in that way, instead of like, oh, I need to pay another bill. It's like, wow, I'm so happy. Look at this internet I get to purchase for myself. Look at this phone I get to purchase for myself from the work that I've done, from the value that I've brought to others and supporting them and fulfilling their dreams and fulfilling their goals. And it's a different way of looking at it. It's a different way of experiencing it. And again, this is stuff they don't teach us, but nobody really thinks about this, but I do, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's, it's really bringing these lessons and really taking a lot of time to reflect and think. And that stems from the triggers. Because, you know, I'm visiting in Poland now and there's a lot of things that could be triggering, but now I see how much work I've done on myself. So the trigger is still there, but there's no response. It's like, just because I disagree with it doesn't mean I have to, you know, take it head on. I can just let it go because that's irrelevant. You know, it's their life. I'm not going to take responsible over their life of their, them doing that. It's their life. I'm not going to correct them. I'm not going to say anything unless it affects me directly. Mm -hmm. So... It's about really learning to lead yourself, taking responsibility for your words, for your thoughts, for your own actions. And I know people say that it's such a cliche thing to say, but once you start to understand that and embody it, it's a whole different experience. Because you stop giving advice to people, you stop chasing them, you refocus the energy on you. It's like, well, why am I telling them what to do? Let me look at myself first. It's like, did I do that? Am I aligned? Am I congruent? Am I eating healthy? Am I working out? Am I managing my money? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, can you take your own advice? And I think a lot of, a lot of people love giving it and would even admit, oh, I'm terrible at taking my own advice. You know, then, then how, how much can you really believe in what you have to say? Because if you're, if you're not really embodying what you articulate that you believe, then you can't, you can't really take it to heart or, or you definitely would, right? I would never in a much simpler context be like, you should definitely invest in this stock. It's going to quadruple in the next three months. And then you would ask, are you invested in it? No, no, I'm not. Exactly. None of that makes sense. And yet we, we do that all the time, to your point, with behavioral advice or relationship advice, you know, and, and, and a lot of that really gets caught in a cycle. And, and you see people in these really devastating relationships with people that oftentimes may or may not even be very bad people, but together because of their expectations, it becomes a kind of a cyclical experience of like, you know, the, the snake eating the tail. And it just rolls and rolls and rolls and you can hear it with people and then, and they do all these things to work on themselves without actually changing the way that they're 
daily, daily interacting with themselves and others. And then they wonder why nothing's changed because they tried to change their perspective instead of, or uh, they tried to change their perception instead of their perspective. Yes. And they tried to change the doing without changing the being. So you can yeah. do all you want, but until you are an investor, until you are being healthy, until you are being organized, like you can do, but then you'll stop doing because it's not who you are. There's no staying and power I'm, in that. Those things are internal perspectives, not yeah. external perceptions, right? Someone could say, hey, I am very healthy for me. And, and I think this is where like, you know, the next step of you know, we all have different shapes and the physical side is really easy for people to see. Mentally, people are as different and talented and untalented as they are physically. But for, for me, like if someone was like, hey, do you want to be a professional NBA player? Sure, that looks like a fun life, maybe. That, I could never do that. I'm just not, I'm not physically, I'm not there. I just don't have that talent. I don't have that coordination. I don't have the height. You know, I, I just don't have these things. And I can dismiss that very easily. I think when it comes to emotional maturity or that, that is, there are people that are limited, I would argue. Intellectually, there are people that are limited. And that doesn't mean to say that they are dumb or bad, but some people are intellectually more capable than others. Some people are emotionally more capable than others. And I think it's, more appropriate to explore where your limits are and then you have to live within those limits as a human being um and hopefully your understanding of yourself allows you to live a very complete and content life within the limitations that you have i i will probably never be an astronaut i will probably never be you know the president of the united states Despite, you know, that's what all the teachers like to tell kids in the U.S. Well, one of you could be the president of the United States. Objectively, that's true. But subjectively, that's very unlikely. And do you want those things? Are you capable of those things? And I think that's the first part to knowing yourself is understanding both your strengths, but also we all have limitations. and quote unquote weaknesses. And I don't think weaknesses are to be dismissed or to be identified in order to get rid of those weaknesses. Sometimes those weaknesses play a huge part. They have a negative connotation, but they play a huge part in the way that we find our purpose or our calling or our, you know, ikigai, right? Which is the Japanese term of where everything comes together, right? What you're good at, what the world needs, what you can be paid at, and what you love. Put all those things together right in the middle of your guy. And for some people that might be making wood art or might be painting, but you may not end up a multi-multi-millionaire from being a painter. But maybe you can live in a small village and paint and have a healthy diet and have some people around you that give a shit about whether or not you're doing okay. Uh, you know, it's surprising to me how easy it is to achieve contentment and how our culture, specifically, you know, American culture or Western culture, 
really, really resist that because content and happy people threaten productivity, right? Like if you're not in that trap more and what that means, you know, I, I love the, the fact, you know, the a definition of success, that definition of success is, is very myopic in the sense that it's usually only refers to people that are making more money than they need. That's the definition of success. And we're starting to redefine that word mm-hmm. in, 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 a, in a big way. But it's important that we acknowledge when I say, hey, they're successful. You know, if you were to meet them and they were living in a, you know, a tiny little apartment and eating ramen noodles, you'd be like, why, why would you say this person is successful? Because they're doing everything they want to be doing. They're painting every day or they're doing this or they're creating this thing every day and they're super successful. And I, you know, I think getting to a place to really accept that is, is important. Um, because most people, when they hear this journey that you're on, that I'm on, that we both help people on, they think that in the end, when they're successful, they are definitely going to be worth a lot of money. And I don't know that it always goes that direction. I think it can. And for some people it does, but it doesn't have to. It's not a requirement and it's not a guarantee that in the end of your success journey, you're going to be in a 30 room house in Bel Air, right? Yes. And a couple of thoughts on that. So I, John David, I respectfully disagree with you around the Please. limits. I believe we're all limitless because I have so I much not, evidence of that I in my life. Yeah. I mean, if I was, if I bought into that, I'd be still be a waitress in Paris, right? So, because that's, that's what I would, but I would argue for. that was not who you were, right? You have no. more talents and capabilities of that for sure. Right. Yeah. And that's where I think mentors, you know, whether that's a book, a workshop, a YouTube video, mm-hmm. a coach, right. Are so valuable because there's so much more available to you. But when the circumstances in our lives are showing us otherwise, then we quickly fall into that story that we are limited. But then for that, we need staying power. Like, for example, what does that mean? When you work on seeing yourself as successful, no matter how much money you make, no matter where you live, no matter, you know, what your current circumstances are, it's going to be a different being from which you're going to be able to create so much more. So, for example, if I see myself as healthy, for me, eating healthy and going to the gym is effortless because it supports who I am versus if I am trying to be I'm doing these things. It's like, oh, I got to go to the gym. Like, and I've been there, right? I'm speaking from experience. It's like, oh, that's salad again. Like, it's a whole different experience and it doesn't stay. We do it for some time and then we drop off because it's not anchored in the identity piece. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to, you know, our potential and really being limitless, it's about us understanding what are those limits and then deciding, okay, do I accept it or do I want to do something with it? Right. Hmm. So whether that's better communication, better emotional intelligence, learning a new skill and even being a basketball player. I mean, you know, I could argue there's some short, amazing basketball player and you're not short, but, you know, it's about developing the skill. But, it, you know, mastering it and, you know, spending hours a day mastering it 
And depending on what it is that you want to do, whether it's, you know, change a career, move to a different country, you need to develop yourself. You need to grow. And your identity is not something like, oh, here's who I am and this is who I'm going to be for the rest of my life. It evolves and grows with you every single day. You know, it's not like a pair of socks that you put on every day, right? But at the same time, you don't change these socks like consistently. So what I'm saying is you're depending on the experiences that you put yourself in, the thoughts and uh, concepts that you expose yourself to, right? You're going to change. You're going to evolve. Because you're going to change how you think. And especially if you're, you know, you're from like a small city, like I am where I grew up in Poland, like a lot of people, they just, you know, they talk about other people. They talk about events. They watch the news versus for me, that's great. If that's what they want to do, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but they know more about the Kardashians and how many there are, what they're doing Mm -hmm. than anything about themselves, their own needs, their own boundaries. Yes. And I think we, we agree in, in a certain context on that in the sense that I agree that many people have limiting beliefs that aren't actually true. I do yes. not pe- believe people are limitless and can just decide, hey, I want to be a billionaire and then go do that. Not everybody is capable of that. It's just... Yes, that's how I feel. Um, I I do think that that if you chase it, it's maybe not really even what you want anyway, and that you can find a joy and a a contentment within your your actual limits versus the limits that culture has placed on you in order to make you fit into that culture better. And that's where we live in a outside of culture in a global culture that says, hey, I'm I'm looking for what my limits are so that I can explore the world as freely as I can, right? I, I wasn't, I didn't inherit millions of dollars, so I had to create something on my own, right? I, I wasn't given that, I wasn't afforded that limitless experience of just being able to explore the world, you know, at will. I had to find my own way. And to your point, I had the drive and the ability to find a way. But yes, again, if I, if I had wanted to go become a professional athlete, despite, I mean, I was a division one athlete at one point, so I'm not terrible at sports, but if I wanted to been a professional, I would have failed. It's, it's not, it's not, it's, it is a limit of mine. And I've had a couple of experiences there intellectually from a mathematics. I was a oceanography major, which is physics. I reached a class of advanced engineering mathematics with oceanographic application. And most of that was math without numbers. I don't know if you've ever done math without numbers. It's weird. And it's pages and pages and pages of math. And there's, there's no numbers, just symbols and abbreviations and breakdowns. And at the end of that class, I realized this is the limits of my logic capability, right? And I was proud that I was able to pass that class with like a squeaky by C. I think, you know, the professor probably was like, well, he's really trying. But that was it. That like, I couldn't have gone further into math theory. That's not, I was not quote unquote smart enough. And I appreciated that limit. And then I moved in a different direction. 
So right. I guess and that's I what it, I mean by we have limits. Yeah, no, and I understand. I know exactly what you mean. And, you know, for me, like I studied finance of all things. And um, I had some limits in that area as well. At the same time, when it comes to school, I think, you know, when it comes to success, what I have found is that school is not a really good predeterminant of your success. Because a lot of the kids mm -hmm. that I went to school with that were straight A students, by my definition, they're not very successful. To me, successful means being healthy, having a good quality of life, and just really, you know, being able to, it's not about the big houses, it's not about the amount of money, but, you know, the correlation overall, and not with everyone, but what I've observed is that a lot of the kids that, you know, got the straight A's, they have these amazing jobs, they have the amazing houses, but then, you know, they're not exactly successful in other means. So mm -hmm. what that means is, for example, they're very overweight. They have diseases. They don't take very good care of themselves because they're chasing. They're chasing the having. They're chasing the monetary things, the tangibles. But their everyday experience of themselves and their life is not very good. So mm -hmm. for me, it's like, what is the point of me having these millions if I can't enjoy it because I'm in pain, because I'm exhausted, because I'm just not feeling good about myself. I'm maybe depressed. I have anxiety, right? Yeah. So it's like you're pushing yourself because you're chasing. And for me, it's about having one foot planted firmly in gratitude. It's like, I am so grateful how far I've come. I'm so excited about what's to come. I'm so grateful to my past self for getting me where I am here. And then one foot going after what it is that I want, but I'm not chasing anything. I am not, there's no carrot in front of me because that carrot mm -hmm. sometimes moves as I move, right? I grow, I change, my opinions change, the world is changing. And by contrast, like I was by no means a straight A student and look at where I've gone and look at what I have. So for me being limitless, like it makes no sense for me to have the time, location, financial independence that I have. Because if I bought into the limits that I had that I'm not good at finance, and that I'm not very smart or that I should not apply to Google because I don't have a, you know, master's from Stanford where I went to study later on during my Google journey, then I would have been in a completely different place than I am right now. Right. So having looked at it, it's like, yes, the limits were there, but then it's up to when we can't see past those limits, it's our responsibility to find someone that does. And whether that is a therapist or a coach or a book or a friend or someone that has done it. It's our responsibility, I believe, to go and see how we can break through that limit. And some things, you know, break through like this and other takes time. It's, if it's been there for 40 years, it's going to take longer than, you know, one session. But if it's something that came right. up because of a shock you had or an unpleasant experience, that's pretty quick to clean up, right? Because someone said like, oh, you're not articulate enough on camera. It's like, well, who are they to say that? Are they doing it? Hmm. Are they in the game? Right. So it's just like really questioning the evidence around you and deciding what's true and what you're going to accept and what you're not going to accept. And now in the world today, you can change anything. You can change your height, your gender, your sex, your, you know, everything. <laughs> everything is notable. Yeah. So um, I do believe we are limitless and it's up to us to unlock that limit. And at the same time, having evidence of both, having the evidence of limiting experiences and evidence of breaking through what I didn't even know was available to me, what was possible for me. I mean, I thought I'd be, you know, at Google until I retired. It's like, I made it, I'm staying, you know, not letting go of the seat, right? That headcount. And it's like, oh, one day I'm just like, you know what? I don't think I want to be here anymore. This has been an amazing journey and I feel complete.
And what does it look like to leave on my terms? You know, not quitting, not leaving angry, but it's like knowing myself and knowing, okay, you know, this is it. Yeah, the pandemic is here and I'm still going to leave. I'm not going to wait till January 1st. Put in like your 30 day and off you go. But it's really about being able to hold that and having a plan. And, you know, Tony Robbins is amazing, but he says, burn your boats. I don't believe in burning your boats. You better be a strong swimmer and have a plan. And a lot of people go to these events, they get hyped up and it's like they quit their job. They make that phone call. They end that relationship. And then three days later, it's like, whoops, (laughs) right? So it's about really knowing yourself and how much uncertainty you can hold, how much self-trust you have and developing these skills. Because, you know, even me moving to Lisbon, not it wasn't for a man. It wasn't for a job. I knew like one person there. I needed to have a lot of self-trust to know that it's going to be fine. And if it's not, I can always come back. Right. But I make big moves like I want something I, and I go get it. Sometimes it happens like this, but there's a big preparation beforehand that people don't see. Like leaving the U.S. after 20 years, like leaving Google, like moving to Lisbon, you know, it's not like I just jump on an airplane, (laughs) but oftentimes that's how the decision lands and then I execute it. But there's a lot of preparation. It's a lot of self-trust. It's a lot of confidence. It's a lot of knowing that I'll be fine no matter what. And that comes down to the relationship with yourself. And your trust in yourself, your confidence and your awareness of what you actually need uh, and how willing you are to be viewed differently. You know, yeah. and that, that I, I totally agree with. I, I think, honestly, I think our, our perspectives uh, of limits and the, the perception of limits is probably pretty similar. I think we just articulate it in, in a slightly different way. You know, I, I, I look at it from a point of view of, uh, you know, where, where am I limited? And, you know, from, from the point of view of limitless, it's, you are correct, you know, to find where externally you have been caged in that is not actually true internally. And so, uh, I, I appreciate, you know, the, the, the ability as well on sometimes these, these, these shows to, be able to na- watch two people or listen to two people navigate a quote unquote disagreement, but also it just recognizes this, this difference in perception, this, this difference in perspective on how you want to navigate the world. And there is no necessarily right or wrong, which is another slippery slope for another, another podcast, but there's no necessarily right or wrong. There is what is true for you as long as what's true for you i would argue isn't detrimental to others right like that that's i think that's the culture that i live under right that i'm not outside that culture you know i would argue like whatever you're looking for whatever you want to do is fine as long as you don't have to make sure others can't do the same thing in order to do what you want to do. Um, which there's a lot that live inside, you know, American culture that would disagree with that. And that is yeah. not a value that they hold true. 
Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a universal thing to, to, to live within the culture that I created for myself. Um, and maybe that was one of the few things, to be honest, that I, I held as a, as a core belief that pushed me out of culture from a, even a religious context, because that is really not how they think often. Um, so I, I rejected that and I found a different path. Um, so I think it's really interesting the, the, the way that we, we've learned to navigate the world, um, on our own. And again, I, I, as I've said before, I think we're really that first generation of, of human beings that collectively started to communicate about how we were operating on our own across the world, right? So there's people from Australia, from China, from Europe, Eastern Europe, Western United States, you know, all these different cultures. And we're all kind of coming together and saying, now what? Yeah. So I really appreciate you being on uh, and hearing your perspectives on things. I think your journey thus far has been really interesting from, you know, to your point, you know, the a communist Poland to United States to Google to being a coach and and allowing yourself to be vulnerable to show other people the path of what it's like to become their own person. And that that is, I think culture also used to tell us that becoming your own person allowed you to be not a good person. And I think, you know, having people like yourself in that world shows people that it's not only possible to be a good person by making your own judgments, but oftentimes you actually become a, a kinder person by making your yeah. own judgments. Uh, you know, unless you're just, you know, at the core, just a real big asshole. <laughs> but you know what I found just, you know, here's the thing. If you're an asshole without money, you're going to be an asshole with money. Uh -huh. And honestly, I think that we need to challenge how success is portrayed with these, you know, whether it's executives, you know, ruining the planet, they don't talk about the people doing good or how successful people are portrayed no. in the movies. You know, we should really challenge some of that because I know so many people that are successful and they are the kindest, they are the most generous, they are the most helpful and supportive because they've walked the journey. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, they've walked the journey and they understand the struggle. And these people are my biggest, you know, supporters because they're cheering for me. They're like, keep going, you got this, you know? And I find that people that never did it, that are kind of stuck within that box. It's like, why is she doing that? Who does she think she is, you know? And being able to hold that, right? But being able to hold that, like not arguing it, like here, you know, we disagreed, right? And the way we talked about it, like I find that I can hold two truths. It's not mine or yours. I agree right. with them both. It's just, I choose to live my truth and, you know, my expression of that. Right. So I think it's about really developing these skills of how to communicate, especially if you want to be successful, you're not going to be successful going around yelling, demanding, and, you know, being a fearful leader. 
It's about, you know, communicating and your communication is only as good as it is received. And there's just so many skills. I think these can all be developed. And, you know, in terms of what success is, you know, for me, success is on a Wednesday going have a glass of wine on the beach, right? For me, success mm -hmm. is sleeping in and not needing an alarm clock. For me, success is going to the grocery store and buying what I want, right? And to me, success is not needing to work. To me, there's so many different versions of it, but we just forget what success can be. So I'm all about redefining what success is because yeah. you can still I, be successful and have absolutely. the house, have the loving partner. But at the same time, it's not what it looks like. It's about what it is. Because if you have all that and it doesn't feel good to me, not from a place of judgment, but that's not success. Right. I think it's okay to have judgment. I've wrestled with that too. And I, but I think that's a, maybe a different conversation that we have because um, we'll probably have lots more conversations maybe on and off uh, of, of camera. But, you know, the, the, these philosophical explorations are, are really, I think, important at this point because people are asking these questions and, you know, some of us have had time to think about it and to live it and to experience it. and passing along that information used to be the generational responsibility. You went to your elders and they were like, listen, your life is not going to be a whole lot different than mine. So this is what I've learned, but our lives have changed so much. I mean, I was, I was born at a time when if I want, my parents wanted to call somebody, they made sparks in a phone by rotating it. And that sent it to a thing, right? Now everything is different. And so we cannot expect those cultural truths that our parents lived by to be valid in our new world. So conversely, the things that we're learning and dis discovering are also going to change going forward. But I think, you know, you and I probably have the perspective that that's okay. And that is part of it, right? We're not freezing our ideas and our identity and saying like, this is it. This is all there is. Right. Go forward unchanging. I think part of it is this fluid experience, which is honestly not necessarily an easier life, right? Like, like all the stuff we're talking about, like it doesn't actually make your life necessarily easier. Um, and I, I think that's something that's missed too in the, in the, the, from a coaching world, from a, a growth world, growth mindset, all these different cliches that exist out there. Uh, it, it doesn't make it easier. You know, it's yeah. still challenging. It's still hard. It's so funny that you brought that up. My biggest fear is boredom and monotony. Like that is sure. my biggest fear. So for me, like when I left the US, I had, you know, a secure job. I had a secure, like I had, you know, my, my own apartment, like I had an amazing life. But the thing is, like, I really wanted an interesting life. So in Europe, there's a lot of challenges, whether it's a language, whether it's, you know, the bureaucracy, right? Like, it's a lot more challenging as being an expat abroad. But at the same time, it's so much more interesting. There's so much more hmm. new experiences available to you. But it's a trade-off. It's like, do you take, can you, are you able to trade off that certainty, that security, and, you know, leave something behind that you've spent such a long time building and putting your energy, time and money into to create a whole different experience of yourself that will be more fulfilling, that will be more, you'll feel more alive. You know, that's for, for me, life is to feel alive. 
And that's what I prioritize. Mm-hmm. Right. So living in the U.S., I would invest my funds into clothes, into like cars, like physical things. And now it's like experiences, whether it's travel, whether it's, you know, a restaurant, whether it's a concert, a show, you know, a dinner with someone I want to have an interesting conversation with. Like, that's what I value. So, you know, you might ch- find that when you change cultures, your values completely shift, which has mm-hmm. been my experience. And they continue shifting because you know, when it comes to your identity, something I found is it's limited by the amount of resources you have. So the way you dress, what you have, how you live, your lifestyle, it's limited by the budgets. It's limited by the resources that you have, the time, the energy, and the money. Mm-hmm. Three of the biggest yeah. currencies. I agree. Time time is the biggest currency right now. And uh, I, I look to have as much of it as possible. Thank you again so much. This has been an awesome conversation. We probably could continue it for hours, but um, usually we try and limit it to about an hour and a half. So thank you again so much for being on. And uh, I look forward to our next coffee chat, our next dinner chat and and whatnot. Um, Thank you again, Kasha. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure being here and speaking with you as always. I love our chats. Not sure if the path of your parents is the path for you? What questions do you begin with? What does self-discovery feel like? My journey of self-discovery has been both my privilege and my tribulation. I have lived life differently than most. I offer educational sessions on how to pursue your path. Links and contacts are in the bios. Thank you for listening to the Sex and Humans podcast. My name is John David Whalen, powered by Riverside FM.